Good morning. Especially appreciate that music. I know I did. So after some weeks spending some time in Proverbs and in the book of Job, we're going to turn back to the books of Kings and Chronicles. The man we're going to look at today had his share of spiritual battles. He also had his share of victories. He was one of the better kings of Judah. This is King Asa. King Asa, he comes in after a long period of spiritual darkness. The very last king we looked at was King Solomon about a couple months ago with Charlie. As Charlie mentioned, King Solomon did not spend the latter years of his reign well. When his foreign wives turned his heart from the Lord, it says that Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. And things continued to decline under Solomon's son, Rehoboam. It said that Solomon's son, Rehoboam, walked in the ways of David and Solomon for three years, after which he forsook the Lord. Let's turn to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 14. Now, starting in verse 22, we're going to look at the spiritual state of the kingdom of Judah during this time. Now, Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed, more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, and wooden images on every high hill, and under every green tree. And there were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And things really don't get any better under the next king. The next king is King Abijam. And just skipping over to the next chapter, chapter 15, His reign is pretty much summed up in verse 3. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Now finally, after three kings who had brought some serious spiritual decline into Judah, we have King Asa. Now, his reign comes in like a breath of fresh air. Let's turn to Second Chronicles, chapter 14. Starting in verse 1, this is where he's introduced. So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son reigned in his place. In his days, the land was quiet for ten years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, for he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah 
to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. Now, ten years into his reign, we see Asa encountering his first crisis. Let's skip over to verse 8. And Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Marishah. So Asa went out against him, and they set troops in battle array in the valley of Zephatha at Marishah. Now, King Asa could have surrendered here. And we see throughout the books of Kings and Chronicles, there were other kings of Judah who, when they were faced with overwhelming odds and faced with an invading army, they surrendered and ended up giving all the treasures from the house of the Lord to the invading enemy. You know, humanly speaking, there's no way that Asa is winning this battle. He's outnumbered about two to one. And things may have been all the more intimidating for Asa because he really, in living memory, he had no one to look back to as a role model of faith. Many of us here who are believers, we've had many godly examples here. We may have had someone who discipled us early on. We may have seen someone in the assembly going through a great trial, but leaning on the Lord. However, Asa, we see he he really had no one. We see his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather. It says they all did evil in the sight of the Lord. And we later learn that his grandmother who raised him, she was actually an idol worshiper. But despite this, Asa does does exactly the right thing in battle. It really did not matter what commands he gave to his men, what tactics or what strategies he had in his head to use, or even really how good his swordsmanship was. The best part of the battle, the part that was essential for him, the part that really mattered was in verse 11. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, And in your name, we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not not let man prevail against you. Asa here really gives a beautiful example of truly leaning on the Lord. He really acknowledges the Lord's being all-powerful when he says, it is nothing for you to help. And he shows, Asa shows his own complete dependence on God when he says, we rest on you. He really turns the battle completely over to the Lord. You'll notice in verse 8, the army is described as belonging to Asa. It says Asa had an army. But with how Asa put the battle completely in the Lord's hands, the army of Judah and Benjamin become the Lord's army. When we see the outcome of the battle, in verse 13, 
says, so the Ethiopians were overthrown and they could not recover for they were broken before the Lord and his army. And having dealt with this enemy from outside Judah, Asa turns to the enemy within. Now, Asa knew a lot of what was going on in his kingdom was not right. He had decades of idol worship from his father, from his grandfather, and his great-grandfather to deal with. He knew his kingdom was in spiritual darkness. But he was afraid to take action. He may have had the thought that, you know, what if by removing the idols from the land, he ended up alienating some of his subjects? There's also the fact that he had taken some cities in the mountains of Ephraim, which were just on the border of Israel. What if breaking the idols from the land caused him to lose support in a very sensitive area? Then there was his grandmother. Like I said, we later see that she was an idol worshiper herself, but she was also the queen mother. And he may have wanted wanted to show her respect in some way. In any case, Asa needed a little encouragement to pursue the right course of action. Let's turn to chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you, be strong, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. Now you notice the Lord did not explicitly have to tell Asa, go tear down the foreign idols and restore my altar. Really, Asa already knew what had to be done. He may have had these things on his heart for a long time. He just needed a little encouragement in this case, though, to begin the task. Going on to verse 16, also he removed Makkah, the grandmother of Asa the king, from being queen mother, because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image, crushed it, and burned it by the brook Kidron. 
Now, it's not an easy thing to stand up to an elder, respected member of your family. There was probably some confrontation between Asa and his grandmother. You don't just drop the queen mother off her throne one day unannounced. Whatever the case, though, there's a wonderful thoroughness, though, which, with, which, with which we see Asa deal with his grandmother's sin. It really shows his zeal for the Lord and his hatred of sin. In other passages, there are other reforming kings who are mentioned as taking down the foreign idols and repairing the altars. But we see Asa, he does three distinct things with this idol his grandmother made. He cuts it down, he crushes it, and he burns it. You know, it wasn't enough for him to cut it down. He has to crush it in pieces, too. And if that's not enough, he takes the pieces and burns them in fire. He wanted to make sure there was no way that this idol was coming back to stumble anyone. And then a long time passes. That's because um, the Lord really blessed Asa with giving him years of peace. Mentions um, at the end of this chapter, and there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. Other parts, and other passages has mentioned that um, the Lord gave, had given them rest, and he gave the people of Judah rest all around. It's not until the very near the tail end of his life that we see the next event in King Asa's life. And starting in chapter 16, we see Asa conducting himself in a much different way. Start in verse 1, chapter 16. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there, was, as there was between my father and your father. Here, I have sent you silver and gold. Come break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ijon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali, now it happened, when Basha heard it, that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building. And with him, he built Geba and Mitzpah. It's very different from how he met the Ethiopians in battle some 20 years ago. Now, from a worldly perspective, just looking at what Asa did just now, we might think Asa was pretty clever. You know, after all, he um, avoided war by paying off someone else to do the fighting for him. He made a new political alliance. 
there was no bloodshed in Judah. And he even ended up getting some free building supplies to make two cities of his own. But it was all completely wrong. Look at those six verses we just read. There's something very missing in those six verses. I heard that. Yeah, I heard someone say it. The Lord is missing. There's no mention of the Lord. There's no mention of Asa crying out to the Lord. We see Asa leaning on money, leaning on another man, leaning on his own political maneuvering. He's doing everything but leaning on the Lord like he did before. Now, it's very doubtful that this was a more difficult confrontation than what had happened 20 years ago. It really, does not, it really is doubtful that King Bosch of Israel was a greater threat than the Ethiopian army with a million men, 300 chariots. Most of the time when we see Israel mentioned in these books, in Chronicles and Kings, Israel is weak militarily. Now, it's not like King Bosha even came out with an army against Asa, like Zerah, and the Ethiopians. He was just building a fortified city. So what made Asa react in this way? It can happen very easily in our own lives. It's very easy for us when we see a problem or a crisis approaching in our own life. Sometimes we turn try to turn to our own devices. We try to contrive our own way out of the crisis. And maybe you're facing a trial in your life right now. Maybe you're being attacked or treated unfairly at work or at school. Maybe you're having financial difficulties. Maybe there's problems, problems in your own home. Problems with your marriage, problems with the children. And we like to think to ourselves, I can handle it. And we end up doing all kinds of things in the flesh to try and fix or avoid the problems instead of turning to the Lord in prayer. There's also the danger of complacency, which King Asa may have fallen into. It doesn't just happen in old age. It can happen any time. We might think, I've done my share of trusting in the Lord. I paid my dues, done my share of the Lord's work. It's time for me to sit this one out. That's true. Maybe we have had your share of spiritual victories in your life. Maybe you've finished leading a Bible study. Maybe you've even seen people led to the Lord through you. Well, that's wonderful. Praise the Lord for that. But there's still a lot that has to be done. There's still a lot of spiritual battles. There's still a lot of people that need to be saved. The Lord still needs to be glorified. Asa is rebuked in verse 7 for what he does. And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied 
on the Lord your God. Therefore, the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And this you have done foolishly. Therefore from, therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. And Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. The Lord desires to show himself strong. Lord desires that he be glorified, that he would be revealed, that he would show himself to the whole world. He wants to be made visible. You know, it's said in First John, I think we're most familiar with this verse, no one has seen God at any time. However, when we trust in the Lord, we make him visible. The invisible God becomes very visible when we lean on him. Back when Asa fought against the Ethiopians, it was very obvious to everyone there was, a divine, there was divine power behind his victory. It says, just turning back to, let's just turn back to Second chapter 14, verse 12. It doesn't say Asa struck the Ethiopians. It says, so the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Now in his later years, what Asa was doing, he was robbing the Lord of a chance to be glorified. And the ironic thing was that in all this effort on Asa's part to avoid war, the Lord judged him by giving him wars. From this point on, it's, we begin to see a hardening of Asa's heart. Verse 10 states that he was angry with the seer, but more than that, he was angry with the Lord. You see a lot of pride and self-will in his heart. You know, he did not want to accept that, um, being called foolish. He did not want to accept or acknowledge that what he had done was wrong. There's a stubborn refusal on his part to repent. Towards the end of his life, we see the Lord really trying to humble Asa, starting from verse 11, chapter 16. Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the, books, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was very severe. Yet in his disease... He did, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Diseased in his feet. We're not exactly sure what Asa had, but given that the scripture says it was very severe, he probably could not walk. He probably had to be carried around 
wherever he had to go by his servants. The Lord permitted this in Asa's life to give him another chance to turn to him, to draw near to him again. Now, as many of you know, I was in the hospital just last month for a little over a week. I didn't have anything as debilitating or as long-term as Asa did. I can tell you, when you have a severe illness, there's not a whole lot you can do. All those things that keep us busy in life, all the hustle and bustle of work, all the social engagements, all those things that we like to fill our day with, you know, just nothing wrong with them themselves, but they tend to fill our time. It's like exercise, surfing the web, checking your email, or just going out to eat. When you're laid up on your bed, you can't do any of those things. Now, I only had that experience for a little over a week. And yet I can say that the time in the hospital was actually good for me. The Lord can really use a time of illness to humble a soul, to turn our soul back to him. I could say that just um, a month ago, I was at a time in my life where I needed to be humbled. The Lord used my recent illness to give me some brokenness I wouldn't have had unless he had kept me in the hospital for as long as he did. I really was forced to look at my life and some priorities I had, made, I had wrongly made. I got to enjoy a certain closeness with the Lord that I would not have had otherwise. There's another possible response to illness, and it's unfortunately the path that Asa chose. You can get more embittered and hardened against the Lord. I see this sometimes in patients at the hospital who have had a long-term illness. Instead of crying out to God, which some patients do do, they grow more hardened. Now, Asa was in this condition for a whole two years. The Lord was trying to get his attention the entire time, but for those two years, we see Asa resisting, turning back to God. And the sad thing is, we never see Asa turn to the Lord again. The last we hear of him is in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients, prepared in a mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. King Asa began very well in his life. Well, certainly the way he leaned on the Lord in his battle against the Ethiopians the way he really was looking for the spiritual welfare of Judah, how he really cleansed the land from a lot of their sins. Those are certainly examples we can follow. But he ended his reign reign poorly. So how do we avoid what happened to King Asa in the last years of his life? 
turn to the New Testament. We're going to turn to the book of Philippians. Turn to chapter 3, verse 13. In Philippians, Paul writes, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the automatic tendency we have in our lives when looking at this verse in terms of forgetting those things which are behind. And we'd like to forget our past failures, our past past embarrassments, all the bad stuff. But in the context, Paul's just finished going over many things in his life that that he used to consider great accomplishments, things he used to be proud of. The victories in our lives, those accomplishments, You have to put those behind us, too. Not that you don't learn from your past mistakes and victories, but you don't want to dwell on them. If we truly forget about our past spiritual accomplishments, we are really forced to lean on the Lord every day afresh, just as we should be. We can never think in our heads, I will go out as at other times and lean on our own strength. We're forced into daily dependence on the Lord. And if we look continually forward, as Paul is talking about in this verse, and it's also the danger of falling into complacency is also gone. Because if you look, if, if you look forward, if you look ahead, you know, all you can see really is the immense amount that still has to be done for the Lord. When you look around you, there's still so many souls that have to be saved. There's still so many people that have to hear the gospel. Still many saints that have to be built up and encouraged. And if you look at all the needs around you, there's no way you can just sit, take a seat back and fold your hands and sit complacently. There's a lot to do. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for your word again and how you... Just open it to us and let us look into it. And Lord, we pray that you would protect us from having a spirit of complacency, that you would spur us on continually forward, that we would be continually absorbed in intention to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we would always have a spirit of dependence on you, Lord, not on ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name.